0: Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Lord Jesus, you said that you would build your church. And in your wisdom, your kindness to us, Lord, you give us the privilege of participating. I want to thank you personally this morning, Lord, for this opportunity to serve dear friends, brothers and sisters in you. And Lord, as I bring the word this morning, I pray that you would prepare City Hill for even greater things. I pray, Lord, that this foundation, as it gets strengthened, as the, the, the building begins to rise and rise with all that you've got for her. I pray, Lord, would you place your hand on our pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come to each one of us today. That you'd speak deep into our hearts and we would know your touch today. That we'd be immersed in your presence We thank you for these beautiful words we've been singing. And Lord, the sacrifice, that heavy cross that you carried on our behalf. We want to thank you for that. We want to thank you that we're all in this room because of your amazing grace. So we pray just your blessing and your pleasure upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I wonder if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to just refer to a scripture very briefly. And then we're going to go to the book of Kings. Paul was an amazing man. And if you know his story, you know how God raised him up, gave him amazing ability. I think a very, very clear mind, a mind that could contend with the intricacies of Scripture and understanding of God. And... um, He faced, as he expanded across the known world at the time, he faced many, many struggles. And even as he pushed forward, um, there were pressures in the churches behind. And 2 Corinthians is written to try and restore a situation where uh, the, the church had started to go away from some of the understanding that Paul had put in place, the foundation he lay. And then he makes this extraordinary statement In verse two, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of body, I do not know. Now, most theologians would say that the man that Paul knew was himself, but he was taken up. He was given this opportunity where heaven was open for him. And he had revelation of a kind that helped establish us of who we have become. And it's in moments of revelation that so often our lives are shaped in a way that no life experience, no good teaching, no books that we read or whatever can ever have the same impact. Those moments where in God, he he just opens things before us. And we see things in a whole fresh way. They are life-changing. And Paul, we know that on the Damascus Road, he had one there as well, where suddenly Jesus appears before him. He's off his horse. He's face down in the dirt. And there is Jesus. He didn't need any introduction. Paul knew straight away who it was. Over the Early years of of my growth in Jesus, I read many, many biographies and autobiographies. And it was so common that as you read stories of men and women who've gone on to do great things with God, they've had moments of encounter with God that shaped their lives. And I want to take you on a journey this morning because you are starting a new series on the church, which is a beautiful topic um, the community of God, the ecclesia. And I want to take you on a journey. It's a word I preached in uh, the very early months of, of our beginning of the, the our days here in Dubai. For those who are on the um, apostolic school of ministry, I'm going to take you back to a word that I brought you many years ago, some uh, eight years ago now, which is quite extraordinary. And it was during a time where I knew the real calling of God on my life, on Heather's life and fam- our family. We left our home to go and plant our first church. And church planting is very exciting. It's wonderful to see communities impacted by the grace of God, by all that the kingdom of God encompasses and brings to us. It was wonderful, but there's also the reality There is the reality of life on the ground. And we were about a year into our new church plant, 1997, quite a number of years ago already. And I can remember getting to a point where the excitement of seeing this new church planted in southern Africa... Um, was starting to wane and the reality of what God had called us to do loomed great before us. And when you looked at what God had called and what was actually on the ground, the two just didn't measure up. They were so, so different. We were working among one of the poorest people groups in our nation of South Africa at the time. We were in one of the most economically deprived rural areas of our nation. But yet, over the church, as it is with City Hill, were these giant promises. Giant promises of reaching the ends of the earth. And every time I read my Bible, every time I prepared, God would speak to me time and time again about having a heart, not only for the people that I was serving on a weekly basis, but for the nations that were yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that needs to be the lifestyle of every believer. Amen? Every believer. We need to live with that, with that hunger in our hearts that we do uh, participate in what's happening here, but we live with that longing because that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. And as things began to progress as we moved forward, I became a little discouraged because the promise, as I said, was enormous. On the ground, we had little to show for it. Excuse me, I'm getting over a bit of a chest infection so I can feel it as I'm talking. I went up on a mountainside very near to our home and I was at the time working through 1 Kings. And if you have a Bible, I wonder if you turn there or if you're on your phone, 1 Kings chapter 9. And I'd really appreciate it if you could find that this morning because I'm going to work through verse by verse. And I want to take you on a journey because on that particular morning, I haven't got the date with me, in 1997, God opened up Scripture for me. He gave me an opportunity of seeing things in a whole new way. I felt as if I had been transported off the big rock I was sitting on right into the very presence of Jesus. And I felt instructed deep in my heart. And even as the instruction, as the revelation began to grow in my life, the doubt started to go. Do you face doubt? We start a new year and already I can feel, oh, Lord, there's so much to do. And you feel, no, when you see things clearly, the doubt goes. We sang this morning that lovely song about how fear is silenced, fear that rises up. Will I make it through the year? Will I stay true? And as I began to see this, all the, the fears and the doubts and the uncertainties of what was before us and what was promised just began to dissipate. And I remember Jesus saying to me, I'm going to show you a picture of my church that I'm going to make part of your life. And I want you to live in this place of always seeing her for who she is. And it's funny, if you want to talk about the church, you would normally go to um, the New Testament. But God took me to this passage. And it's 1 Kings, sorry, chapter 10, I might have said, Chapter 9. And it's at a time where David's son Solomon is now firmly um, in place as king of the nation Israel. And God is prospering. As a young man, he made some brilliant decisions, very good decisions where he could have chosen all sorts of things, but he chose to know God. He chose to have God's understanding imparted to him. That was his choice. When God just placed before him, what would you like to be? A professional? Would you like this? Would you like that? Would you like the biggest army in the world? What would you like? And he pushed it all aside and he said, Lord, to know you, I want wisdom. And the fear of the Lord, as Proverbs um, 9 verse 6 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. As we get to know him, wisdom comes. And so Solomon is at the height of his kingship at this time. And right across the, the known world at the time, word is spreading about the success of Solomon. Word is spreading. It must have been an amazing time about this king. Some 2,000 kilometers south of where Solomon was based in Jerusalem was a lady. And her name, as referred to in the Bible, was the Queen of Sheba, or title maybe. Queen of the South is the other title. And it's interesting because in natural history, there's not much of a trace of her. There are a few pictures that popped up now and again of people, but usually because of biblical story. But in history, people will argue, did she come from Ethiopia? Any Ethiopians here this morning? There must be. Hallelujah. She might have come from your nation, East Africa, but possibly across the ocean, most likely in modern-day Yemen. And the Queen of Sheba rose up. We don't know the history or how. And she became a powerful, powerful queen. And her success came from trade. They say that she had this incredible fleet of ships. And those of you, the Keralites, I can see Brian and Minnie up there. I put this in specially for you this morning. The Keralites will know that um, many, many stories about the queen and her ships that traveled to Kerala and gathered up the spices and all the riches of Kerala. They say, I've heard people say that's God's own country. Yeah, a few of you saying, yeah. (laughs) You've not been to Clarence, South Africa, obviously. (laughs) Hey, Fuzzy. Hey. Hey. Hey, he's with me, you see. But... She just sewed up. So she was collecting spices in the East and she was taking gold and silver and all that and trading into Africa. She had this amazing network and became extremely successful. <clears throat> but there was one thing she didn't have that she had heard about. And as I sat that morning before the Lord, With this great vision in my heart, but the practicalities of life before me, God said, I want my church to be like Solomon's kingdom. I want to take you through the scripture. So here we have this king anointing of God on his life. Sadly, and let it be a warning to all of us, that Solomon's decisions didn't always stay godly. Success is a dangerous thing. Success is very dangerous. And even as we bring you couples this morning into recognize you before the church, you men as elders, let me just say, success is a dangerous thing. You've got to stay very, very humble before the Lord. And the Queen of Sheba can't stand it any longer. And so we read in verse 1, Now, When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and with very much gold and precious stones. So here we see She doesn't pack light, and um, if you've heard me preach this message before, I've often said I am married to a very similar woman (laughs) who also travels quite, um, doesn't bring her camels with, which I'm very pleased about, but all the rest of the stuff I can account for. Although she was teasing me this trip because I had quite a lot of toys with me, as she said, but the Queen of Sheba packs up. She wants to impress this king. And she says, I want that. Bring the best, more gold, more precious stones, more spices. She's got it all worked out. If this king thinks he's great, let me show him who I am. And so this great caravan goes all the way up through the Arabian Peninsula to Jerusalem. And she comes with very many hard questions. As I go through the scriptures, I want to refer to the church now. And I want you to see Solomon and his world as the church as God opened it up to me. God said to me that morning, if you will believe me and have a high view of my bride, no matter whether you're in the mountains of southern Africa or in the great cities of the world, if you follow my lead, the world will hear about you. So often we live as churches with an enormous pressure on us. We've got to go out there to reach the world, and we do. We were instructed to do that. But I want to place before you, as God placed before me that morning, that if we do church correctly, if we become the true manifest wisdom of God, the world will come and seek us out. Can you put that in your mind? If we can see the church mobilized, if we can see every single person from every nation, color, tongue, whatever you are, mobilized, playing your part, the world will seek us out. And as I sat that morning, I can remember saying, but Lord, do you know where we are? We're in the middle of nowhere. And God said, believe, I will send the nations. And let me just say, God did it. It took a number of years. He had to work through many things in my life. But in about our 10th year of this church, the nation started coming to us. People started traveling from all over. We had a great big group of Russians. We had all sorts of people travel because of what God was doing through this community. The fame of Solomon... What was his fame? Well, it tells us. It says, concerning the name of the Lord. There's lots of confusion nowadays in church planting. And so much of it goes towards numbers and towards success. How many people are you gathering? How many people listen to your messages? Follow this, follow that. And it's become very hazy. And none of those things are wrong if used accordingly, correctly, but the key thing for us more than anything is that the world, the people out there in this city and across the world need to see you and I for people who honor the Lord in every way. That's our calling as the church. It doesn't matter what we got, where we meet, how comfy our chairs are, or whether you move around all the time. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about a people who are looking to God. And thank you, Joel, this morning for just pointing us back to Jesus all the time. She wanted to go and investigate because she had heard about his relationship with God. Can I exhort you? Can I encourage you in that? And so she travels all the way and she came to Jerusalem. It says with a very, this verse two, with a very great retinue with camels bringing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And as I got to that verse, and I'm sitting before God, I'm thinking, wow, Lord, Solomon didn't go on some campaign to raise money. You sent it to him. You sent it to him. And God said, yes, when my people obey my ways and follow me, they will lack nothing. And even though you might be in a place where your offering is a chicken sometimes and a pig and a few coins, because we really did struggle, had lots of, lots of difficulties, if you follow my ways, if you believe in this bride, I will provide. I think I might have said to you, I can't remember, in my last visit, I do preach in many places that... This year, the resources required for us to continue doing what we're doing across some 40 odd nations now on six continents, Mexico opening up, uh, places, Japan, you name it, all sorts of places opening up. The, the, The resources needed were enormous. And I can remember the global team coming together and all saying, this is what we feel God wants us to do. And we worked out the because vision always leads, not finances. We laid out the vision, and then we worked out, okay, we would need £320,000. I don't know if somebody, Jacob, tell me dirhams quickly. 1.5 million dirhams. And I remembered back to my time in these early years thinking, my goodness, that's too big. That's too much, too difficult. We can never do that. And I said to everybody, we need to cut back. Praise God, they all leant forward in their chairs and said, what? We've never heard you say cut back. We've heard you say advance, lay down, keep going. And anyway, as we prayed, I felt faith begin to rise. And I got up in England as I got back after that meeting. I had all the leaders gathered and I had to make the announcements about the offering. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I really hope this is you. Stir my faith this morning. Come to me. And I've got my notes, and I'm just about ready to go and jump up and and, uh, make this big announcement. And somebody grabs me by the shoulder, and I turn around, and it's one of the leaders, one of the trustees of our movement's charity. And he said, "Um, I thought you might want to know you've just received over six 100,000 dirhams gift for the work next year. I usually celebrate those things. I want to tell you, I stepped up to that platform, my shoulders were back. I could have taken on the world because God had gone before us. He had promised all those years ago, stick with me, honor me, and I will provide. And once again, you stand back and you say, God, I don't know who gave the money. If it's one of you sitting here, thank you very much. You made my day, my year, and most probably the next 10 years. She came bearing gifts. And when she came to Solomon, we carry on, she told him all that was on her mind. I'm sure here in Dubai, as I know it and remember it, is the same as we face in the nation of the UK where we are presently serving. There are many questions In the nation of the UK, gender has become the the greatest battleground and the greatest area of confusion. The nation is saying, no, we need to do away with gender. We don't want to see people labeled male or female. Our children need a chance to decide what they want to be. So it goes on. (laughs) This morning in the British press, there's an article where one of the hospitals is in uproar. Because some men were brought into one of the female wards. And now the reality of foolish decisions is catching up. People are saying, but how do we do this? Who are these people? The world's got questions. And guess who's got the answers? We are equipped with the greatest resource in all the world. The greatest resource. In here are my notes. A prophetic word someone gave me. But in here are all the answers. Every question in life is in here, is stored right here. And so she comes to him and she's got time with him and she starts asking questions. What about this? What about that? Where did this come? Where did your success? What does it mean to honour God? You name it, the questions are out there. And praise God, it says in verse 3, Solomon answered all the questions and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain. I think the church at times has got onto the back foot. We don't see ourselves as the head as it was promised. We see ourselves as the tail being wagged by the world, the world setting our course, the world defining us. And I know you're a church that are led by leaders who long to see our faith define who we become. And can I encourage you to give yourself to it? But God's given us wisdom. He's given us understanding. He's given us truth on every aspect of life. And we need to stand up and say, whoa. Not beat the world to death, but guide them. Show them a better way. That's why the Queen of Sheba traveled across so many deserts to get to Solomon. Because there was something missing in her that she had heard about in another people. We as the church need to rise up and continue to do so. We continue. He explained everything. We have been given, as Paul um, writes in uh, Philippians 2, 6 or 16, somewhere there, he talks about, please stand firm because you've been given the words of life. Isn't that fantastic? We've been given life. Heather and I had a chance to have Christmas with our two grandchildren. We'd forgotten how busy <laughs> little ones are. So morning after morning, we think, my goodness, Lord, give us energy. You know, suddenly it's breakfast again, there's lunch and it's dinner, and the same happens the next day. So it was, it was quite something. I can see why younger people have babies. But it's wonderful to see out of our children Little people being brought to life, how they grow up and function and grow is all in here. Here is the, the manual for our little grandson, Christopher Stephen Oliver. He eats everything in sight. Just unbelievable. If he's got food... He's happy and he's this chubby little guy, and he's learned to crawl. And you know, you look down and you think, I'm on duty, where's he gone? And next thing he's going upstairs, or he's just. He's... But here's the manual on how to train him. Hear the words of his life. Hear the words of life for him. Brothers and sisters, one of the things I decided I would do in this coming year is spend more time in this. Last year was a very busy year. Heather said to me, please don't let 2019 be like 2018. She's smiling quietly behind her seat over here. But this is where it is, brothers and sisters, for your business, for your marriage, for your friendships, for your future husband or wife. All in here, words of life. Let me continue. Fuzzy, I don't know what time I started. We've got to do the... Okay, let me try and finish another 10 minutes. Okay, can I keep going? All right, so words of life. Verse four, listen to this dear woman. I absolutely love the scripture. And this became my heart's cry for the church of Jesus Christ. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built... The food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. If you've got an NIV, this is the ESV. The NIV says she was overwhelmed. She spends time with these people in these courts. We're not sure how long she was there, but she starts to see kingdom life working out. She starts to see a picture of it, and it takes her breath away. She is breathless. And I can remember that morning sitting, thinking, Lord, can we build something where people come in, visitors, guests come in, and... They are breathless. Can we be who you were that it takes people's breath away? Oh, you are doing this. You are doing that. This atmosphere, your friendships, your love for one another, the honoring of one another, the way you treat your children, all these things, can we get to a point where it takes the world's breath away? When they try and silence us because we believe truth, that they have to... Back off knowing that the church has got something right. Can you believe for that? Yeah. Just listen to some of those things. She saw the wisdom. James said, if "You lack wisdom? Ask. You facing a diff- difficult decision at the moment? Maybe in your business, the future, whatever?" James says, "If anyone lacks wisdom." Ask. I think it's James 1 5. Ask. And I think, wow, Lord, I'm not sure I ask you enough for that. Not sure that's one of my top prayers. For Solomon, it was. Give us wisdom. She sees that. She sees the house that he built. And at the time, we were meeting in an old dirty barn. We were sitting on hay bales. We had nothing. We had no chairs. We had nothing. And I'm thinking, Lord, you see my house. And God reminded me, it's not about your buildings, what you sit on. It's about my people. How we build together, how we lay together, how we honor one another, how we prefer one another, how we live for one another's success, how we give ourselves for one another. The world does not know that. The queen of Sheba is looking at the thinking, I thought I had it all right down in Saba, I think it was called, Sheba. I didn't have anything like this. There is nothing like the community of God. Come on, you've got to give me a cheer now and again. Thank you. Woo! Thank you, Wendy. She sees his house, the food on his table, the seating. Even as we build, and I know in this church you are very careful. I, I, I know that. I've seen it. God spoke to me, and he just said, do things well. The world might use a word like excellence. I understand that word, but we've got to keep it in a good level. But do things well. It's so wonderful to go to a community where everything's in place and it all works. It's not sort of made up. Because that's quite often why the world says, what is this? You do one gathering a week and you can't get it right? We do it well. We organize well. God spoke deep into my heart that day. And then she sees his cupbearers. And God spoke to me about an empowered people. Now, obviously, the king had all those servants. But at the end of the day, we're all servants. That's what we are. We serve a king, a risen king. We're all servants. And she sees all the servants, the cupbearers, all happening. We need to be true servants of Jesus Christ. No matter whether we are elders, whether we are life group, city group leaders, whether we are children's work, whatever, we serve. And we don't grow weary of doing good. And the higher, the, the further you go in God, the more responsibility you get, the more you serve. I've worked for the last 24 years with Terry Berger, who now is in, in his mid-70s or round about there. And I get to see him every, every now and again. And what amazes me is that he built a movement of some 900 or 1,000 churches around the world. He's very recognized. But as the, the movement grew and grew and grew of influence and resources and effectiveness, he started to lay things down more and more. So as he built something, he became more and more of a servant. What a beautiful model for all of us to see that. Let me press on. He's burnt offerings. In our case, we don't do that any longer. Praise God. I'm not sure we'd all cope too well with that when thousands of animals are brought forward and and all the rest that happens. My first wedding I went to do, Fuzzy, Um, I got asked to do a wedding in um, our hometown. And I arrived there and found that a cow had been invited to the wedding as well which I thought was quite sweet, and I thought, wow, this is amazing, until I was asked if I would go and help prepare the meal. And it was my first experience of um, prepare the meal. Yeah, that, that poor thing over there, that's feeding everyone today. She sees the worship. Maybe you here for the first time today. And you stood with us and you watched us sing songs, lift hands, close our eyes, speak to Jesus. And you think, what's this all about? One of the greatest privileges we have as followers of Jesus is to worship him, to surrender our lives through singing songs and truth and words, enjoy the music. And this is what the queen of Sheba saw. And there was no more breath in her. I don't know about you, I want to belong to a church like that. Verse 6 She said to the king, <laughs> she gets more time with him Solomon, the report that I heard in my own land down south of your words and of your wisdom. Report, sorry, she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports. I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, half was not told me. Isn't that fantastic? Half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I've heard. And then listen to this, and particularly those of you coming into eldership today. Happy are your men! Exclamation mark. What an unusual statement. Why is it unusual? Why is it a statement that sort of cuts across here? Because you see, in the time, kings ruled. They weren't servant kings Everybody was submissive. No one spoke unless they were asked to speak. No one smiled or showed any emotion in the presence of the king. Just read Nehemiah when the king picks out on him and says, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? And he thinks, oh, Lord, I've given myself away. You weren't allowed to do that. This queen sees someone, something different. Your people are so happy. Can we build churches like that? Come on, give me your best smile this morning. Some of you are finding it hard. Thank you, Ben. Can we do that? When you go back to work tomorrow or on Sunday, people say, what did you do this weekend? I was with my church community. And you're happy about that? Happy about that? Yes. How happy your men are. She doesn't stop there, though. She goes on, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Happy are your people as they befall God. This evening I'm speaking at the Russian service at Gateway. Looking forward to that because many of you remember us praying for that many years ago. And I'm going to talk about the marks of grace on a church. One of them is joy. It's for us to be happy coming here thinking, oh God, I know life is tough, but wow, in your presence is the fullness of joy. One of the things Heather and I enjoyed most about our holiday were the mealtime sitting around the table with our children all laughing, telling stories. We laughed, all the things that started to come up. Adam, when he was a little youngster. Sorry, Adam, you just happened to be here. Heather took him to the doctor as this little boy. And he's talking to him and says to Heather, um, oh sorry, he said to Adam, are you allergic to anything? And he said, yes, only one thing, crocodiles. So. If you have a crocodile, keep it away from Adam. <laughs> but we remembered all the stories, and you suddenly start to laugh, and you start to enjoy each other. I don't know about you, do we laugh enough? Nico, I think you said that to me over the table the other day. Do we laugh enough? Even in our messages, the preaching of the message, in the hardships of life, we just allow it to go? How happy your people are! Come on, church, let's be those people that, in the spite of hardship, we can laugh. Blessed be the Lord. Yes, someone who doesn't know the Lord, or she does now. Her response: Blessed be the Lord. She has seen where the successes come from. She has found the the root of the joy. She has found the root of happy leaders. She has found the root of a prosperous, generous, loving church. Blessed be the Lord, she says, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, she says to Solomon, that you may execute justice and righteousness. I could speak so much about that this morning. What was her response? Verse 10. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices, all the way from Kerala, and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those the queen of Sheba gave the king Solomon. We can reach the world We do it his way. You're going to be looking at a series of the church. Would you allow the teachings to shape what church really is in the world today? Let's get back to what Jesus wants and then have a look at the response of the church. It's so wonderful to receive, but the Bible tells us that it's better to. Verse 13, I'll just miss out those next few. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all she desired. So often, we can build churches where we believe we must just receive. We've missed something. We miss the very heart of Jesus, the very heart of God. But in the, the depths and the darkness of sin, what does He do? He gives. What did He give His one and only Son for your sin, for your shame, for your desperation? That as you put your faith in Him, your sins, your slater's white clean, it's dealt with. Chatting to a young lady this morning from where were you from? Bonnie's friend sitting here. <laughs> We received Jesus last time we were here. Wonderful thing. King Solomon, he loved the spices. Who doesn't? Who doesn't enjoy spice? But then he says, by the way, what, would you, what do you need? In our small town where we first started, We decided to bless the town and to keep blessing the town. We started ministry and project after project and we just blessed the town. We've got to have a generous heart. And listen to this. She turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Sorry, just before that. So Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her, by the bounty of King Solomon. Even as we build a movement worldwide, we look at our budget and everybody's faithfully giving all over from great cities to little villages, the stories are just unbelievable. And even as everyone gives, we make sure that as we oversee those funds, that some is given away. And we sew it into different things around the world. Each year we ask God. And in our budget, they'll think, what is this? Are they part of us? No. They're part of the body of Christ. They're doing something. We'll we'll send them. I can remember the one man contacted me and said, Stephen, I've been doing this for 30 odd years. No one has ever done this. Isn't that lovely? Brothers and sisters, the Church of Jesus Christ Is beautiful. Ephesians 3.10 tells us that through the church, all that God is will be made known. What a responsibility that in our togetherness, we make God known to those that are outside here, to the city. I need to finish very quickly. Fuzzy, come and join me. What a privilege it is. We've, as you know, just started a church in Westminster, and we way behind you at the moment. We most probably are a good year or so away from establishing biblical eldership in the church, but such a privilege this morning to be doing that. So I'm going to hand over to Fuzzy, and then I want you to join us. But realize that as we do this, it's not just something we go through. It's for a great, big purpose. The church of Jesus Christ. And very lastly, I started off saying that this changed my life through revelation. I'm not sure time will allow, but be a believer who seeks the face of God and asks Him to reveal things, to meet with you personally. God is a God who makes Himself known. Seek his face. Don't think that revelation happens to a few people. No, no, no. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, said Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.